our podcast, Fixing Healthcare from the Trenches, where we bring people, mostly clinicians, who have uh, done and are doing innovative things to try to actually bring sense back to our U.S. healthcare system, whether it be efficiency, um, uh, the quality, and, and really trying to bring the cost down. And that requires this kind of collaboration and, and information. So this week, I'm particularly honored to have a, a, a two, two colleagues, one, a, a fellow orthopedic hand surgeon that uh, we actually had a company together called American Hand Institute. We had two patents for, for small joint devices, very interesting things that we did together. And Steve Topper uh, is joining us and is now involved in a, a company, a private equity firm that is focused on uh, lower and middle market healthcare solutions. And I'm also uh, joined this week by his uh, his colleague, his partner, Sonia Ponusami, who is uh, a Harvard and Wharton uh, MBA and has um, done significant work in a, a number of areas, including investment banking, uh, private equity in the UK, Hong Kong, and has been since 2017 focused on healthcare and really bringing solutions because I think we all need them. Uh, would you agree, folks, that we need some solutions? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so tell us, uh, tell us about uh, about your firm. Steve, why don't you start and tell us how you ended up meeting Sonia and how you joined and what your goals are? Yeah, uh, well, I was introduced to Sonia by a mutual friend, um, and uh, you know when I when I heard about what they were doing with their private equity company, which is called Aspire Physician Solutions. Um, I mean, their, their, their model of how they're doing this, just uh, it made me ask myself the question, where were you guys when I needed you? Um, because Alejandra, I think, you know, you and I are, are roughly the same age. I may be a year or two older, but, um, you know, what I've seen happen over the 30 year career that, uh, you know, I have is I've, you know, I've just seen uh, reimbursements go down while, it, while costs continue to go up. And it's just is making it absolutely so hard for private pra practice physicians to stay in practice. Yeah. And when you think about how they are sandwiched between, you know, medical practice groups or large insurance companies or hospital systems that are driving physicians out, out of, because of market forces, they're driving physicians out of private practice into these, you know, aggreg aggregate models um, you, you just think that the physicians, in order to survive, they need an ally to come alongside and provide some power and some capital and some expertise to help them survive the, the pressures that they're, they're facing. And um, I think having an ally like that and having a plan is, an, is a very, um, very smart strategy to deal with how, how uh, the healthcare market is today. So, and, and so Sonia, <clears throat> uh, as, as you know, there's, you know, physicians for, for a long time now have had concerns, right? About, about uh, a private equity, venture capital, et cetera, getting into healthcare. But, you know, Dr. Topper sees a, 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 a real um, potential for, for disrupting what's happening right now, which is big healthcare systems and even insurance carriers kind of dominating healthcare. So what what do you see your your, your firm uh, doing that that's going to be different? 
Well, I think private equity offers a lot of really unique solutions um, that are really not open to physicians if they remain in independent practice. So I think you can kind of bucket those in into three main categories. Firstly, it's the ability to really monetize the true value of your medical practice, all those years of training, all those years of looking after patients. So in, in the private equity model, you get an upfront lump payment, and then you get this thing that's called the second buy to the apple, which is in four or five years when the practice is sold for a second time. Um, and both those um, events are taxed at uh, the long-term capital gains rate tax rather than ordinary income, which is you know 20% rather than what in some states can be 45. So it's an ability to sort of take some of your chips off the table, take some cash when you close, uh, depending on where you are in, in your life cycle and, and opportunity for some of the younger doctors to pay off the medical school debt or some of the more senior doctors to diversify their wealth. Um, and then, you know, the and also in terms of sort of downside protection, if you've done this deal, say something terrible happens, such as disability or death, et cetera, et cetera, um, the value of your equity is, is much higher than if you'd stayed in independent practice. Um, and also, you know, private equity is a meritocracy. Um, obviously, physicians are always concerned that if we partner up with a private equity firm, what does that mean in terms of compensation? Well, you know, your compensation under a private equity model is based on your pr productivity. It's a percentage of collection. So, um, you know, there's not really something to fear, fear there. But also, you know, we've, we've talked about how challenging um, the healthcare industry is and particularly challenging if you're a small independent practitioner so it's you know being part of a, a larger group having more purchasing power helps to um safeguard against sort of future risks and uncertainties so things like changes in reimbursement um more competition from hospitals and health systems you know your referral sources are being bought up by hospitals um continuing shift to value-based payment um, you know, growth of direct contracting with self-insured employers. If you're a small physician group, you don't have, um, you know, the scale to be part of that conversation in terms of negotiation. Um, sounds, uh, sounds like you're able to level the playing field, correct? Because you uh, you now have this partner that has a, a capital access to capital. The physicians hopefully will be able to continue to do what they do best, which is practice medicine in our case, uh, uh, orthopedic surgery, uh, but you you would be able to bring these resources and and the business knowledge, right? Which admittedly um, many of us just don't have. I mean, I I, I never got uh, an MBA, and it's a sort of school of hard knocks. But that's not really enough, is it? And uh, to be able to compete with a large healthcare system that's that's really employing physicians, I think this is a good way to stay somewhat independent, is it not? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, you, you touched upon some important points and what is, I believe, sort of the third um, key factor in terms of why independent physicians should look to partner with private equity is that there are an enormous amount of benefits of having this bigger corporate infrastructure. You know, you can have best-in-class IT, uh, best-in-class EMR. You know, you've got, um, you know, you get to have a real management team, uh, you know, really sophisticated corporate executives stewarding the business, cost savings. Um, so all of that is important. And, you know, as you said, um, you know, 
you didn't go to, to medical school, you know, you went to medical school, you didn't do an MBA. Yeah. There's a reason for that. You wanted to focus on practicing medicine. Um, and I think there are lifestyle benefits of partnering, which is that you do get to focus on practicing medicine. It's less stressful. You don't have to have all of those risks of, and stress of being an owner of the business. You're not wearing 10 hats. You don't have to be head of IT, head of accounting, head of marketing. Um, you know, somebody else um, does that. And I think in terms of what is unique with Aspire and our business is that we offer those opportunities to smaller businesses. So we will take uh, businesses that are as small as two to three million of EBITDA, and those can be the um, initial platform. Um, I think the other thing that's differentiated is that, uh, you know, not all equity is equal. Um, when we partner with physicians, there's only one class of equity. The physicians, us and the management team all have the same class of equity. Uh, the physicians are not subordinate in some way. It's not phantom equity. Um, so I think it's really important to also understand the nuances and that private equity is an incredibly broad term. And uh, under that umbrella, there are a lot of very different models. So, so Steve, having uh, essentially left clinical practice, I mean, you see this as an opportunity to really uh, make a change in healthcare, correct? I mean, it, it's, it's, and yeah. what, what led you to see, you know, to work with Aspire when, let's face it, there is 13 or 14, I believe, uh, private equity companies uh, in, in the orthopedic space with, with these sort of MSOs. I mean, what, what, what led you to, uh, to partner up with, with uh, Aspire? Well, basically, it's their model. You know, you know, Sonia and I um, did a, uh, um, you know, we did a conference in in uh, in Chicago recently uh, at one of the Becker meetings, and it's it's interesting. You know, I was on a panel with a, a bunch of investment bankers, and you know, um, they the amount of equity that they skim off the top, or you know, the the uh, what do you call it, Sonia? The 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 you know, the, the scrape, income scrape, yeah. The income scrape uh, was uh, way higher than anything that that uh, we do, and um, and and the other thing is, is as Sonia mentioned, not all equity is equal, and uh, our equity is what is called peri passu, or exactly the same for for all the parties that are involved, and so I I think that there are ways to do private equity that are more physician friendly than uh, than other ways. And this is the most physician friendly uh, way of doing private equity that I've seen. Terrific. Well, uh, yes, I mean, I, I think, uh, well, you, you know what I've gone through with, with my kind of disruption in healthcare, and it's been very difficult because many of these companies are, are seem very much focused on the the big EBITDA or the, rather than what the actual innovation is. I mean, how good is the widget, not how many there are, and you decide to just buy them and expand. Why not Why not take a very innovative idea that is, you know, initially inexpensive and just grow it, something yeah. big. And that requires, I think, a more forward-thinking company uh, like yours. And, and maybe this is kind of what's needed to disrupt healthcare because uh, right now it just seems like it's 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 every day you read about these, these billion-dollar mergers and purchases, but I just wonder, is that, I mean, it's certainly changing healthcare. The question is, is it really making it more uh, efficient and, and cost effective in the long run? Because you're adding a lot of people to the equation now that also, you know, need to uh, put food on the table, right? So it's not just the people delivering healthcare. And that's fine for all the reasons that Sonia mentioned. But I, I think we have to find a really good balance here. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, 
clearly with one of the big advantages of private equity is that there's economies of scale. And so yeah. you know, you're, you're doing this across a, a platform. So, you know, I think that um, that in, in terms of driving costs down, um, that could, you know, very well play into that. And so that's, uh, that's, well, this, so this may be one of the, uh, the, the initiatives, but it, it, uh, at this point, generally in the, in the podcast, I, I really want to want to know from our guests, what would be three initiatives, straightforward things that you think could really, uh, lower healthcare costs in the U S which as you know, are, are, uh, you know, not sustainable the way they are. What, what, what would you think? Number one, Steve, start. um, you know, uh, closed networks are anti-competitive. Okay. And Elimin eliminate that. <laughs> right. So that would be, um, you know, legislative in nature. Yes. Um, but, you know, that that anti-competitive behavior, um, it really does um, drive costs up. Yeah. And, and so I, so that would be one that I would. Uh, so well, there, there's a big move now to uh, to eliminate these. Um, uh, you know, the non-competes and the restriction covenants and all, because for, for, for is that related to what you're saying? Uh, I'm, I'm actually talking of, of, about, you know, closed networks from hospital systems, insurance companies, et cetera. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Mostly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredibly costly is when the patient's forced to go here just because it's this, instead of just saying, okay, what, what's the market willing to bear? If I can provide the service, why are we forcing them? Yeah, I, I I live that every day with having an MRI machine here and saying, why are they going cross town when I could do it here for, for the same modest reimbursement anyway, right? Right. So I, yeah, good point. Okay, so number two, Sonia, what would you say? is uh, um, You know, it's going back to what we've talked about previously is that, you know, there's an enormous number of healthcare providers that are really small, one, two, you know practitioners in groups um that you know it's it's a very fragmented um space um and i think consolidation of of those um very fragmented providers uh in partnership with private equity particularly folks such as ourselves that really specialize in working with these smaller groups um you know is it offers benefits both for the patient and for the physicians um, and cost benefits are, are part of that and the scale that comes from, from combining. Terrific. Okay. I can see that. And, uh, Steve, so third, third initiative. So I'd, I'd say, um, adding, so I, I think that we're going to see some big changes with artificial intelligence. Hmm. And I, you know, I know for a fact on the insurance company side, they're, uh, they're, they're exploring, um, you know, utilizing large language, artificial intelligence to streamline and also um, the, the pre-approval process and also to, you know, uh, deal with some of their costs in terms of uh, employees, right? So I think one of the things would be, you know, as we develop these electronic medical records, adding a um, AI component to that, that's going to streamline the pre-authorization process. So that, you know, before this is even sent in, it's already run through the the uh, the algorithms so that the physician can know um, up front whether, you know, it's going to be pre-approved or not. And if not, they can get whatever needs to be done done so that that could happen. 
Yeah, a complex stuff. I mean, certainly with the computer power we have, but uh, in the end, you know, what what patients really want, right, is is caring, and yeah. and uh, that physician relationship. It's one of the things that that people worry about, understandably. You know, as I've scaled down my practice, I'm spending more time with each patient, and it, it really is a pleasure. And uh, I think with physicians, with reimbursement the way it is, you, you know, the art of medicine has to be uh, sacrosanct. And otherwise, people are going to be continuing to retire early, and we, we have to do something to change that. So uh, I, I hope I hope that AI can 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 really take the uh, the drudgery maybe out of some of the work, right? Yeah. So, uh, so I'll tell you my my three, which are are uh, are actually pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, it's the way I think. Uh, so I, I really believe that we need to get to a system where the the, the patient sees the right specialist at the right time. I think a lot of cost, and that, that's one of the things behind ortho now is that typically, and Steve, you notice as a hand surgeon, right, we are often the fourth physician seeing a patient. They may go first to an urgent care. That family practice doctor says, well, this is just a kind of walk in and you need to go to the ER. And then the ER says, well, this needs to be seen by ortho. And then your colleague says, well, I don't really do complex wrist. So now you need to see a, a Dr. Topper because he does a hand and wrist, right? And so now, but all three of those first steps have gotten paid, haven't they? And that's yes. delayed the care. And in the worst scenario, and I have all kinds of data, including the Society of Military Orthopedic Surgeons, Steve, which you know something about, mm -hmm. a, a very interesting study, uh, you know, showed how often in an ER, there is an incorrect diagnosis orthopedically. So that uh, just costs a ton of money. Uh, and the last one is what we're doing right now. And that's why I appreciate so much that both of you took time out for your busy schedules. It is public education. The challenge for us is now for the public to hear this and so many other dialogues that are out there about trying to fix healthcare. Um, my modest uh, uh, you know, uh, approach to this is writing a book. And that's what I did during the pandemic. You know, In 10 weeks, I wrote this book and the podcast came out of this because I realized that we have to collaborate and I need to hear opinions uh, the closed network idea, Steve, is, is, is brilliant. Um, thanks for explaining it further. And we are hoping that perhaps the, uh, the insurance carriers and more important, the general public hears this, thinks about it, and contributes to us uh, to try to really change healthcare. So any last words? Uh, I, I was just going to say, you know, um, uh, it's been a pleasure being your colleague uh, over Thank all these you. years and, and working, working together on uh, some, some things. And I think we came up with some really good ideas. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, as you know, um, I having visited you there in Miami, uh, I patterned a lot of my practice uh, after what you were doing down there. Oh, thank you, Steve. I appreciate that. And I was, I was un unable to get out of network, though. <laughs> so, so. Well, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's a problem that most people have in the country, right? I'm, I'm lucky, I think, that if you're in places like Miami or New York, where there is a lot of um, movement, uh, you know, more, more middle America, it's, it's, it's not going to be that way. And, that, and that's not fair, right? Because there's tremendous clinicians. I mean, uh, I haven't heard from uh, Dr. Tyson Cobb, but he's doing a lot of the amazing, you know, things that we were doing. And it, it's a struggle. Uh, but I'm hoping that with these dialogues that we can really, uh, you know, level a playing field and, and all ships rise in the tide. And I, I don't want to see uh, U.S. healthcare uh, really, you know, what's happening now in the U.K., Sonia can 
can talk about that. It's it's really dreadful what physicians are going through there. So hopefully every all the uh, pointers that you you gave will be you know still you know somebody will hear this and, and decide to, to take action, and uh, we're all we're all here to help. Thank you very much, Sonia. Thank you. Uh, I, Thank I you, Alejandro, for hosting us. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it. So well, we'll uh, hear more from Aspire and and see what what we can do to really change healthcare. Until until the next uh, podcast. Thank you all for listening.